You guys can hear me? Cool. Can you hear me, Gervais? All right. Uh, like he said, um, uh, I'm a co-pastor at Garden City Church. It's a church plant. But before I kind of go and talk about myself, I just want to answer two questions for all of you. Is yes, I am tall. I'm 6'6", and yes, I play basketball. Yeah. And um, other than that, I'm a co-pastor at Garden City Church. It's a new church plan that desires to meet the spiritual and physical needs uh, of our neighbors in our neighborhood, and also to be a people whose lives are marked by goodness and justice. Um, I am married to my beautiful wife. Uh, we've been married for four years. We live on the north side of Pittsburgh, and uh, I have also two amazing children, uh, Javay. Uh, can you wave your hand, Javay? Um, and my son, uh, Jaden. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an awesome experience living on the north side. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's very loud. We don't see the stars at night. Um, but uh, other than my family, I love playing sports with my friends. Uh, I, I love writing poetry. Um, and lastly, I love writing books. Sometimes I have a bad habit of buying books and not finishing them. Um, but that's a big thing for me. Uh, but throughout this year, 2020, and present day, uh, I've been reading through the, the Psalms of Lament. Um, reading through the Psalms of Lament provided me with uh, this format of an example of godly grief, um, as well as learning to trust God uh, with my own sorrow and suffering. Um, that's a whole thing there. But in my readings, I found out, this is interesting, that I found that that one-third of the 150 Psalms are lament. It's crazy. So whether the lament is personal, corporate, repentant, or justice-oriented, you cannot read the Psalms without encountering a lament. Um, so a lot of people do not like studying lament. It kind of sort of finds them. And while I was reading it, it kind of found me. Um, for those who don't know what a lament is, here is the definition. It is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the goodness of God. So the title of this message today is Reminding the Weary Heart of God's Faithfulness. So let's open up in prayer if you guys can join with me. Um, Lord, uh, Lord, we, we bring all of ourselves to you. Um, not just our bodies, but, Lord, our personalities, uh, our thoughts, and our emotions to you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you know the human heart. Father, we pray that you would expose everything, um, that you would speak in those areas that need to be spoken into. I pray that you would open up our ears to understand, open up our hearts to receive. And, Lord, I pray that you would just remove distractions. Whatever is coming next, I pray that we would forget about that, that we would be present with you and your spirit today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you can open up your Bibles to Psalm 77. Um, if you go there, wait for me. I promise I'll be back with you. Um, but in this psalm, we will learn how to lament well through the lens of Asaph's suffering. So we'll discover his process in three ways. Um, one is seeking God and remaining troubled. Two, anguish turning to remembering. Three, remembering the greatness of God. So let's read it together. I have NLT. I'm a big fan of NLT. I don't know if anybody else, but I'll read it. 
It says, I cried out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night I prayed with hands lifted towards heaven, but my soul was not comfort. I think of God and I moaned, overwhelmed with longing for help. You don't let me sleep. I am too distressed even to pray. I think of the good old days long since ended where my nights were filled with joyful song. I search my heart, my soul, and ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Has his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, well, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. But then I recalled, all that you have done, O God, I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows or lightning flash. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea, your pathways through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. You led your people along the road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. So again, this is a, a song. We were just up here singing. This is not just like something they wrote out and sent it off to God. But this is a corporate singing song about God. You know, um, so this song belongs to a Levite named Asaph one of David's three chief musicians and worship leaders at the court. See, the psalmist is straightforward and honest about his pain and agony. He writes down his emotions while dealing with his problems. He takes us through some uncensored emotional and physical responses to suffering. The psalmist never really reveals what exactly troubles the psalmist, but Asaph um, has this really detailed, raw footage of his response to pain in life circumstances. So we'll uncover verses 1 to 10, and we'll kind of keep progressing through uh, uh, this psalm here. But let's focus on verse 1 to 10 as we uncover his, his lament, his pain, his, his, his rawness. It says, I cried out to God, yes, I shout, oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. It's the right thing to do. All night I prayed with my hands lifted towards heaven. But my soul was not comfort. You ever been there before? I think of God and I moaned, overwhelmed with longing for help. And then there's this interlude, which is like this pause and reflection. You don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed even to pray. I think of the good old days, long since ended when my nights were filled with joyful song. I search my soul and ponder the difference now. And then he goes in with these questions, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but the psalmist is in pain, and yet he is not silent. He is not just talking and complaining and whimpering. He is crying and shouting out in prayer. It's different, right? It's crazy. 
So he's reaching out to God in the middle of his agony. His prayers, again, his prayers are not bringing immediate comfort and resolution. His prayers, again, church, are not working. You ever been there where you kind of feel like your prayers are not working? And yet he still prays. Again, so right in the middle of his pain and suffering, he pauses and reflects. Again, right in the middle of his pain, he pauses and reflects. So throughout the night, he wrestles with intense restlessness and spiritual fatigue. No words are declared. He says, I can't even pray. He gives God the silent treatment. So I wonder how many of us believers stop speaking to God about our pain, disappointed by unanswered prayers, or frustrated by out-of-control circumstances. Church, our silence can kill our soul. See, it's better to pray and lament than to be silent with your pain towards God. To pray in pain even when it's messy, with the tough questions and the struggle, is an act of faith where we open our hearts towards God. Our pain, again, is not this simplistic, linear formula where we pray something and immediately it's gone. Sometimes, church, we must sit in the rawness of our suffering. The rawness of it. See, Asaph does not give up to God in prayer. He tries to hold to some good, some memory. He remembers the former days of goodness and joy, but still, he has tears of distress in the night. I'm pretty sure we all can experience that. But in his distress throughout the night, he has questions. Oh, questions. He says, has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Has his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? Again, then he pauses and reflects and thinks about his questions. And then he goes to, well, this is what it is. God has just turned his hand against me. He is conducting this conversation about God. I think in the middle of our suffering, in the middle of our trial, we are like that. We ask questions, wondering, have God went on vacation on me? Has he rejected me? Has he abandoned me? Does God like me? I know he loves me, but I'm, I'm not sure if he likes me. Um, wondering if God's love is true for me. Wondering if God is holding fast to his promises. Wondering if the boundless grace is now not boundless. Or better yet, wondering if God's compassion still is available. In better terms, it's like this. Maybe, you know what, I deserve this. This is the sin that I've committed in the past, or better yet, this is a sin that my parents have done in the past. You know what, Lord, I, I, I deserve for you to remove yourself away from me. Now, does the psalmist believe this about God? I don't really think so. We'll, we'll kind of unpack that later, but in the moment, it sure does feel like it. See, some of us may say, because I feel like this, it may be sub-Christian to question God, to struggle with his purposes. Church, it is okay to say, God, I don't understand. This is hard and this hurts, but I will trust you. None of us, church, including me, are immune to suffering. We're not. 
It's like the air. It's, it's there. So to tell a little bit about my own suffering from five years ago until now, um, one being in ministry, being in ministry as an African-American man, being around a dominant culture who, are, who is, who is uh, Caucasian is tiring. Lonely ranger. Mentally, it's hard. Emotionally, it's hard. It's hard. Suffering. Went through that. Wondering if my work and my production for God was enough. Wondering if, if God would like me if I produced more. Wondering if I had enough numbers in my program was enough for God to like me and to love me. I had to work extra hard to fight against that. And secondly was infertility. Literally, I'm still working through that. My wife and I have been married for four years. And just like this a humanistic mindset, it's like when you get married, you buy a house, the next thing is have kids, and then you have grandkids, you build this legacy. But for us and for many other people, that's not always true. I always thought like if you do the good deed, the results will follow it. But for us, we're in this wrestling of this public disgrace of we don't have kids. We don't have kids. It's hard. Feeling like you failed your wife, feeling like you failed your husband, and going through the process of like God is not listening. I'm lamenting, I'm praying, I'm fasting, but nothing is happening. And on top of that, parenting through foster care is hard. Oh my gosh. They know, we know. Parenting is hard enough, but parenting through foster care is times 10. That is extremely hard. So my question to you is, what past or present pain in your life are you holding back from God? God already knows your heart, so why are you... So so why are we afraid to tell him about it? Like, he knows everything about us. He created us. Why are we so afraid to tell him about our pain? He's interested. He's waiting. So again, we'll move on. Just think about that question that I asked you. But in verse 11 to 15, we see this shift in his anguish towards remembering God. And it reads this. But then... I recall all of you have done, O oh God. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. O oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonder. You demonstrate your wonderful power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. See, he is reminded and encouraged himself that God doesn't change, that God is immutable. And he answers his own questions in the previous verses. He chooses to remember. It's not like, it didn't say, but then God forced me to, to call to think, but it's not, or my friend, told, but he, he chose, but I recalled, I chose to remember I cannot stop thinking about your thoughts and your ways. So in all that we feel, in all the questions that we have, there comes a point where we must call to mind the things that we know to be true. We must remind our hearts about God's faithfulness in the past, especially when our immediate event doesn't look like 
it's good. See, the first place of freedom is the renewal of your thinking. So it's our choice to figure out what we're going to focus on. See, for an example, we got to maybe tell ourselves, like, you know what? You know what, self? That's what I'm going to say to you. You know what, self? It's God is for self. Who can even be against self? Since he did not spare even his own self, but gave himself up for self, won't he also give up everything for self? So we got to keep, keep, keep preaching the gospel to ourselves repeatedly day in and day out. And the reason I state this is because we as Americans suffer from spiritual amnesia while embracing a hyper-individualistic, triumphalistic narrative. Soon Chong Ra quoted in his book, Prophetic Lament, the American church avoids lament. The power of lament is minimized and the underlying narrative of suffering that requires lament is lost. But absence doesn't make the heart grow fonder. Absence makes the heart forget. The absence of lament and the liturgy of the American church results in a loss of memory. We forget the necessity of lamenting over suffering and pain. We forget the reality of suffering and pain. So church, we should be competent lamenters. We should regularly talk to God about our sorrow and struggle. The bride of Christ shall learn to lament. So when we fall on hard times, we can remind ourselves about God and all that he is. So during your time of sorrow and suffering, what needs to be reminded? What needs to be something that you need to, I just need to hold on to the scripture. I need to hold on to this verse. This is going to keep me believing. This is going to keep me hoping. Church, truth, hope still tells the truth. It still tells the truth. So finally, we see in verse 16 to 20 that Asaph's heart is now able to remember the greatness of God. So he says this, When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The, the sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder trembled in the sky. The arrow, your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunders roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway that no one knew. You led your people along the road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherd. See, in Jewish history, the ultimate moment that defined the people of Israel and their relationship with God was the Exodus, being free from their oppressors, seeing God open up the Red Sea and they walk cleanly through it. In the same way, the psalmist remembers this defining moment in, in Jewish history as God demonstrated his power, his love, and faithfulness. He banks all his, his, his questions, his heartache, to, a, to the single and greatest event in Israel's history, that God moved among them. That moment defined the understanding of God's character. The exodus was an anchor for his weary soul. For us, the new covenant, we have Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, the Son of God, who is our high priest who moved in the neighborhood. He came like us. He conquered sin and death. 
and now is resurrected, sitting next to the Father in glory and power. That is an awesome story. That many, most people don't believe, but it is an awesome story. See, the man of sorrow, if you read Psalm 22, like I've been saying, I've been working through it, that first verse, he quoted that. The man of sorrow understands our struggles and understands what happened to us. He acquainted with grief. The God of the universe acquainted with grief. Think about that. As you go through your, your, your suffering and pain, the God of the universe acquainted with grief. Was the cross not enough for us? So when we pray painful words, we are rehearsing our identification with the man of sorrows. So when I feel like I've been rejected, oh, God's been rejected, so I understand how he, he understands how I feel. Oh, I've been, I've been marginalized. Oh, he understands how that feels. Oh, I've been forsaken. Oh, my, my father has turned his back and gets, oh, I know how that feels. He, has, he had questions. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask questions. So my question is, as you think back on God's faithfulness, as you think back, as you remember, where has he proven himself to be trustworthy? Is it in your marriage? When your marriage is about to crumble and, you're, and, and, you're, and your spouse decides to go to counseling, that's God's faithfulness. When your kid has turned away from God and years later he... He or she returns, that's God's faithfulness. When there's a sickness of cancer and God gets you through that, that's God's faithfulness. When your bills are piling up and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, God shows up and pays every bill, that's God's faithfulness. When your kids are screaming and yelling and hitting you, and then at the end of the night they say, God, I Dad, I love you, Mom, I love you, that's God's faithfulness. When you have sickness, all these things. If you have struggling with infertility, struggling with believing God, and God just shows up in the smallest way, that's God's faithfulness. So in conclusion to this, and I'll wrap it up and I'll pray, is this. Do not stop talking to God about your pain. Hopefully you guys can hear me. Is do not stop talking to God about pain. Tell him. Tell him all of it. He wants to hear it. So, and secondly, is consider writing your own lament. Follow the flow of the lament psalms as you tell God about your struggle. Remember, again, remember that each lament was written by real people with real problems. So write your own. Look at, how, look, look at the way, the flow, how they look. In, in, uh, in the Psalms, and like, I'm going to write that right there because I identify what this psalmist is feeling. And to cry is to be human, to protest. Like, when we came out the womb, we cried. No one taught us how to cry. I can't just, like, tell my wife, teach me how to cry. But to lament is Christian because we know the full story. We know creation, fall, Jesus coming, then this redemptive story. And we live in, in this paradox of 
God, why are you taking us away from me in pain and, and also looking forward to this future hope of Jesus returning, we know the full story. So again, to cry is human, but to lament is Christian. Let's pray. Lord, uh, you are amazing, Lord. And there's nothing too hard for you at all. Father, you are the God of the Exodus. You are the God of the world. And you have acquainted yourself with grief and our grief. You have moved in a neighborhood. You have came like us. And Lord, you have made it a way for us to know you. Um, so Lord, teach us how to tell you about our pain. Whether it's in small ways or huge ways, Lord, teach us how to remember your faithfulness. Teach us how to remember what you have done in our lives. And bring us back to a place of trusting you. Turning to you, Lord, with our pain. Complaining in a, in a, in a, in a godly way. Asking boldly for your help and trusting in you. That is our destination, Lord, of trusting in you with our sorrow and suffering. And we pray this all in the, in the name of Jesus. Everyone say, Amen. Amen.